Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So years ago, my wife Corinne preached a sermon. And in the middle of that sermon, she uttered a phrase, and the minute she said it, it became a part of Southside lore. Now, there was a lot less people at Southside Church back then, and there's a really good chance that you weren't there. But if you were there, you probably still remember it. Partway through a sermon, years and years ago, my wife Corinne said, people suck and you can't kill them. People suck and you can't kill them. Now, when you hear that, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that sounds kind of harsh. It kind of sounds mean, you know? It kind of sounds like it's under the category of things that you're not supposed to say in church. Well, you might be right. But it's also a really profound expression of what I would call the paradox of people. There's something about people. You know, like, no one can hurt us like people can hurt us. No one can disappoint us like people can disappoint us. Nobody can make us suffer like people make us suffer. No one can break our heart like people can break our heart. No one can shatter our dreams like people shatter our dreams. And yet, and yet... We need each other. We can't do life alone. That's the paradox of people. People suck and you can't kill them. Now I bring that up because over the last few months we've been making our way through the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. And I've told you many times that what we call the book of 2 Timothy is actually a letter. And it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul in 67 AD to his best buddy, Timothy. Now, Paul writes it from prison in Rome, and Paul knows as he's writing it that he is not going to get out of that jail cell alive, that he is going to be executed. And so we've reached the end of the letter, where the second last week of this series is today. And it's amazing because this section I'm going to read for you, like just, just about the last section of the letter, if I had to give it a title, that title would probably be People suck and you can't kill them, Timothy. But if I wanted to be really churchy about it, I might call it this, the paradox of people. You can choose. But let me read it for you and then we'll jump in. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 9. Paul says this, Hey Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent someone to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he has strongly opposed our message. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that A couple thousand years ago, you inspired this guy named Paul to write this letter. And you inspired, it was your plan that we would read it here today in this church. And so God, I stand on the promise that you say that when your word goes out, it always accomplishes exactly what you wanted it to accomplish. So I pray first of all for myself that everything that you've given me to speak from your word, that I would speak in an articulate, inspiring fashion. And God, I pray for every single person joining us online or here in person today, God. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to apply what you have to say. But most of all, God, we come before you with gratitude. That you haven't given up on any one of us. That you're still speaking. That you're still leading. 
that you're still inspiring, that you're still changing and loving every one of us. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. People suck and you can't kill them. People suck and you can't kill them. What I want to talk about today is I want to talk about three reasons why people suck and one reason why you can't kill them. Three reasons why people suck and one reason why you can't kill them. So number one reason why people suck is they might desert you like Demas did. It's interesting because that's the third time in the New Testament that Demas is mentioned by name. The third time in one of Paul's New Testament letters. And the last time, five years earlier, when uh, Paul wrote the book of Philemon, he mentions Demas as a fellow worker. And yet, in 2 Timothy 4, we see Demas has hit the road. Demas has deserted Paul. And I was going to say, I wonder if you can relate, but I know that you can. I think we've all experienced the heart wrenching feeling of somebody who used to be right there walking through life with us and now they're not there anymore. They've deserted us. As someone who has spent my entire adult life in leadership, I've experienced this also. And there's something really heart-wrenching about it. The word that I would use to describe it is missing. So number one, we're missing that person. We're walking through life and they were right there. And now they're not anymore. And they were cool. And they were funny. And they were helpful. And they were encouraging. And they were comforting. It was just nice to have somebody right there. But now they're not there anymore. And we're missing them. But on another level, we feel like there's something missing inside of us. Like, why did that person leave? Like, is there something missing inside of me? Like, maybe I wasn't funny enough. Maybe I wasn't caring enough. Maybe I wasn't smart enough. Maybe I wasn't attentive enough. Maybe I wasn't enough. And so many of us have experienced it. Uh, we've been deserted by a coworker, like Paul is here. We were going out, spreading the gospel together, and Demas hit the road. Or maybe for you it was a friend. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a parent. But, but there's those two levels of missing. Number one, I'm missing you. I'm missing you. It was so good when you were here. And number two, something's missing in me or you'd probably still be here. And it got me thinking about why do people desert us? Why do people do that? People that were walking with us side by side who said that they would always be with us. Why do they walk away? And we live in a world where I think we're born with like this need deep down inside of us for validation. We want to be validated. You look at little kids, right? And little kids are looking up at their mom and dad and they're saying, you know, am I a good boy? Am I a good girl? Do I measure up? Am I worthwhile? Am I valuable? Do I matter? Do you see me? Do you care? And what's really incredible to me is if you really look carefully in our world today, you see all kinds of people who are 20 years old, 40 years old, 60 years old, and they're grown up on the outside, but inside they're still that little kid. And they're looking around at the world and they're saying, am I a good kid? Do I, do I measure up? Am I okay? Am I valuable? Am I worthwhile? Like, do I matter? Now, I'm not sure if it's because they never got it from their parents, or maybe more likely, they may well have gotten it from their parents, but on some level, it's just not enough. So we live in this culture where it feels like everybody's looking at everybody else. Validate me. Tell me I'm a good kid. One of the primary places you can see it, by the way, is in a social media platform called Instagram. 60% of Canadians are on Instagram, and I would consider about 90% of Instagram to be a vehicle for validation. Have you ever noticed that? It's the reason why sometimes when you scroll through your Instagram feed, you just get annoyed. You know why you get annoyed? 
is because it actually makes you sad, but annoyance is a more accessible emotion than sadness, so you go with annoyance. But what Instagram is full of, it's full of men and women saying, am I a good kid? Does my face look good? Does my hair look good? Do I got a good body? Do I got a good car? Do I got a good house? Do I got a good life? Do I got good kids? Do I got a good spouse? Do I got good vacations? Is it good that I get to go in first class on my vacation? Do, do, do I have good food? Because look, here's a picture of my breakfast. And it's like everybody reaching out saying, validate me, validate me. Tell me that I'm a good kid. You say, what does it have to do with Demas? Actually, everything. I want you to imagine him. He's walking with Paul. And there must be a part of Demas that looks, well, I'm, I'm walking with Paul. Paul is the man of God. Paul is the evangelist. Paul is the preacher. Paul is the church planter. Paul is the apostle. So surely, 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 if anyone in the world can validate me, if anyone in the world can tell me that I am a good kid, it's Paul. And somewhere along the line, Demas realizes he can't do that for me, and he hits the road. So you want to know why people desert other people, I really think this is it. That's why you see men and women, 20, 40, 60 years old, they're growing up on the outside, but they're still a little kid. And they're just looking, please tell me, tell me I'm a good kid. Tell me I'm okay. Tell me that I matter. And so they jump from sexual partner to sexual partner to sexual partner to marriage to marriage to marriage to friend group to another friend group to another friend group to a job to another job. And what are they looking for? Well, subconsciously they're looking, can somebody please tell me that I measure up? Please, can somebody please validate me? Can somebody please fill this empty spot inside of me that says, I'm not enough. And somewhere along the line, we look around and we married that person and they don't deliver. It's like, I thought when I married you that you would make everything okay. That you would let me know finally after 47 years of life that I was a good kid and you didn't and I'm gone. And so I want to take a second right now and I want to suggest to you that we, we all need to take this journey of exploration on our own. So I want to ask you just to take a moment. What are you looking to to validate you? Who are you looking to to validate you? As I say that, you might be looking and thinking, man, it's kind of embarrassing to think the lengths that I've gone to to find validation. It's not meant to be embarrassing. It's just truth. The truth will set you free. Where are you looking to for validation? Because I want to tell you that you were meant to find validation in your relationship with God. There's a story that Jesus told. It's recorded in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Jesus compares himself to a good shepherd. And he says, hey, there's this shepherd, and he has a hundred sheep. And one of those sheep goes wandering off, and, and, and this one wandering, wayward sheep, it heads into a place of danger, darkness, despair, and discouragement. And you know what this good shepherd does? This good shepherd leaves the 99 sheep, and it goes after that one lost sheep. It, this good shepherd subjects himself to the danger, to the darkness, to the despair, and the discouragement. It picks up this one lost sheep, and it brings that lost sheep. And I want you to know today, and maybe you've heard me say it before, but please hear it again today. You are the one he left the 99 for, and that's enough. 
You are so completely loved. You are so completely enough. You are so completely valuable right now. So what I want to suggest to you is this, is that you go to God and you say, God, these are the things that I have been looking to for validation, but I want to look to you. And by the way, just like Demas, i got to tell you something. It's not enough. It's not enough for you to think that if your spouse has a relationship with God, that God's going to validate you. Or that because your, your family went to church when you were growing up, that that was going to be enough to validate you. Or even this, you come to church every week and somehow Mike Mannis is going to be enough to validate you. Mm-mm. This is something between you and God. This is really, really personal. And this is going to take you coming to God on your own and saying, God, I need you because my whole life I've been wondering what I'm chasing and now I realize it's actually you. So why do people suck? Well, number one, people suck because they could desert us. They might desert us. And number two, people suck because they might label us. Something really cool here in verse 11 uh, Paul says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, make sure you bring Mark. Make sure you bring Mark, because that guy, he's a great help to me. Make sure you bring Mark along, because he's a great help to me. Which is just awesome. Because you, you got to kind of know the story a little bit. If you go back 20 years earlier, Paul is ready to head out on his first missionary journey. And it's going to be Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas is Paul's right-hand man at that time. Barnabas, by the way, means son of encouragement. Barnabas sounds like just an awesome guy. Barnabas was the guy that when Paul uh, became a follower of Jesus, Barnabas vouched for him. Because before Paul became a Christian, he persecuted Christians, right? Like he went out and he uh, threatened and abused and arrested and even had Christians executed. And then one day he becomes a Christian and all the church leaders are like, no, 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 no. No. We don't trust you. We don't want to have anything to do with you. We think you're just pretending. And it's Barnabas, son of encouragement. Barnabas goes to the church leaders and says, no, 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 I know Paul. I know Paul. You can trust him. It's real. We got to work with him. So about 20 years, in about 57, 58 AD, Barnabas and Paul are ready to go out on what became known as Paul's first missionary journey, okay? And Barnabas says to Paul, hey, I got a cousin named Mark. He'd like to come. Is that cool? And Paul's like, absolutely. Bring him along. No problem. So they go on this first missionary journey, and they end up on an island called Cyprus, and it's tough sledding. Like, I mean, they're going around. They face opposition everywhere. There's this weird sorcerer guy that follows them around wherever they go, just talking them down. And by the end of their trip around the island of Cyprus, only one person has become a follower of Jesus. And at some point, Mark is like, this isn't nearly as fun as I thought it was going to be. This is hard. And Mark leaves, like mid-journey. He heads back to his home in Jerusalem. Okay, so fast forward five years. Paul and Barnabas completed their first missionary journey They've stuck around for a while, and now they're preparing to go on the second missionary journey. And Barnabas walks up to Paul and says, Hey, remember my cousin Mark? Yeah, he wants to come along again. I knew it would be no problem with you. And Paul says, The quitter? The guy who quit. You can miss me with Mark. Like, there's no way we're bringing him along with us. Like, I'm walking along on this journey, and I look over, and he's gone. There's no way. You can't count on that guy. He's a quitter. We're not bringing him. And if you read about the story, it's found in the New Testament book of Acts chapter 13. The argument becomes really contentious between uh, Paul and Barnabas. And I can imagine Barnabas said something like this to Paul. Paul, you've got to be kidding. 
Like you're labeling him? Like, don't you remember how everybody labeled you when I went to bat for you? And I said, no, you got to give this guy another chance. He's actually amazing. And now you're going to tell me that you won't give Mark another chance? you got to be kidding. And it got, it got so controversial that actually what happened was Barnabas and Mark, they went off on their own missionary journey, and Paul went with a new right-hand man named Silas. But what's amazing here is at the end of Paul's life in 67 AD, he's made things right with Mark. And I'm guessing he's made things right with Barnabas too. He says, hey, you got to bring Mark. He's a great help to me, which is amazing. Because around this same time when Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome, Mark is putting the finishing touches on, the, on a historical account about the life of Jesus that he wrote from the eyewitness accounts of a disciple named Peter. And we now know it, by the way, as our New Testament gospel of Mark. What a story. Oh, and by the way, Paul was wrong. Paul was wrong. And maybe some of you look and go, well, he's in the Bible. How could he be wrong? It's such a great reason why I think the Bible is so trustworthy. It's because we're reminded over and over and over again that the Bible isn't, the, isn't a book about the great men and women of God. It's not. The Bible is a book about a great God of ordinary, imperfect men and women like me, like you, like Paul. Paul blew it. Paul knew what it was to get a second chance, and yet he wouldn't give Mark one. He labeled him a quitter. I think in our culture today, there's something called the cancel culture, and it's just another version of labeling others. I read an article that said the epicenter of the cancel culture in our world today is Facebook. Facebook is a mass movement. 80% of Canadians are on Facebook. It's a big deal, right? And what happens on Facebook, they said, is that if somebody decides that they oppose somebody else or they disagree with somebody else or they want to cut somebody else down to size, what they do is they just look for something that that person said or they look for something that that person did in their past and try to use it to discredit them, to label them. But one thing's for sure, this whole labeling thing, it didn't start with our Facebook culture. It goes back a long, long, long ways. It's amazing when you think about it how Jesus, before he died on the cross, he would tell his disciples all the time, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. And yet when Jesus died on the cross, his disciples were so incredibly rattled. And after his death, they all gathered in this locked upper room. And there's this incredible story about how Jesus walks through the wall and appears to them. And they're all like, whoa, what? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm here. And they're like, man, you told us you would rise again. Man, it's so awesome. Sorry about that. Sorry about forgetting. And it's just this amazing story. But one of the disciples wasn't there when Jesus showed up. And that disciple's name was Thomas. He was gone. So anyways, Jesus leaves. Thomas comes walking back in. And all the other disciples say to Thomas, Jesus was here. It's so obvious. He told us he was going to rise again. Why didn't we listen? It's amazing. And Thomas says, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. They're like, what do you, what do you mean? We just saw him, Thomas. I don't believe it. I don't, I, I don't believe he did. And they're like, well, yeah, but what? And, and, and Thomas is like, guys, I was there, right? Like I saw him, I saw his hands nailed to the cross. 
I saw him hang there when he couldn't breathe anymore until he died of asphyxiation. And I saw the Roman soldier come by just to be sure. He took a spear and he drove it through his side, through his lung, and through his heart. And so that blood and water came out because his heart had gone into such shock over the low blood pressure that he was long dead. And so water and blood came out. So excuse me, I don't believe it. But I'll tell you this, if I could put my finger in the holes in his hand and put my hand in the hole in his side, then I'll believe it. And eight days later, Jesus shows up to all the disciples, and Thomas is there, and Jesus says, Want to put your finger in my hand? You want to put your hand in my side? Stop doubting and believe, Thomas. And Thomas says, My Lord and my God. And it's this amazing moment, right? And what's really cool is that Thomas never doubted again. Like after Jesus ascended into heaven, Thomas went with the other disciples to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit came down and and Peter preaches this message and 3,000 people become believers and Thomas is a big part of helping lead that early church and eventually Thomas goes to the nation of India and he becomes the first missionary with the message of Jesus into India. And legend has it that eventually after years of doing that, that Thomas was actually martyred. He was martyred with a spear to his side, through his lungs and through his heart, just like Jesus had been. And when we look back at Thomas now, though, it's so interesting because do we call him Thomas the Brave? Thomas the Evangelist? Thomas Thomas the Missionary? We don't. What do we call him? We call him Doubting Thomas. People in the church call him Doubting Thomas. Isn't that amazing how we do that? How we're so quick to label people through a lens of failure rather than a lens of faith. We're so quick to to label people through a lens of failure rather than a lens of faith for what God might have planned in their future. We're so quick to judge people according to their past instead of looking at them according to their potential. Paul was wrong. And he knew it. And that's why in 67 AD he says, hey, bring Mark to me. That guy's a great help. So before I move on, I want to ask you a question. Are you carrying around labels? Maybe there's people in your life that are judging you according to your failure rather than according to faith in your future. Maybe there's people that are judging you by your past instead of your potential, or maybe you're judging you. So I just want to stop before I go any further and say this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, the old is gone. I want you to hear that, not from Mike Manis, but from God today. Please, please hear this. Let the labels go. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. And the enemy comes to you and he says, yeah, but you did that. But that's not you anymore. You're brand new. Let it go. And one more thing. I love Barnabas, don't you? I love that guy. I want to be a son of encouragement. I want you to be a son or a daughter of encouragement. So let's ask God that we would be the people that can look at others not through a lens of their failure, but through faith for their future. I know that's his plan for you and me. So why do people suck? Well, number one, they suck because they might desert you. You know, they might... They might label you, and finally, they might oppose you. Alexander the metal worker, that guy is a piece of work. Alexander the metal worker is a piece of work. Paul says, he did me great harm. And Timothy, you need to be careful because he's going to come after you too. This guy is tough. And before I talk about Alexander, I want to show you a video. And the video is 
uh, about a guy named Andrew Whitworth. And Andrew Whitworth was named the NFL Man of the Year last year. So here's the video. I've had so many amazing experiences serving in the community. Watching that video just really brought tears to my eyes and, and it warmed my heart, just watching people smile, watching kids just enjoy life and remembering what that was like. Going on school visits, providing STEM labs, hospital visits, programs for military, or just going to local food banks and helping out with homeless shelters, all those have been amazing. But one experience brought it all together for me this year, and it happened to me on a football field. In our game against the Detroit Lions, I had a young player from the Lions run up to me as soon as the final horn went off. And I saw him sprinting over and I didn't know what was going on. Like we'd known each other forever. I couldn't place him. It made me so nervous. Had I actually played long enough that like a coach's son or player's son is playing against me? <laughs> he stopped that. He said, hey man, you're not gonna remember me. I'm Derek Barnes. You spent time with me when you were a young player in Cincinnati at the Boys and Girls Club and it meant the world to me. You used to sit with me and talk to me about life, and I was just a little kid. I want you to know how much it meant to me. I said, man. He goes, you know what? The main thing I wanted to say, Wit, I made it. I made it to the NFL, Big Wit. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Just a little act of kindness, just a little act of love, just a little act of encouragement, just a little act of generosity, the difference that it can make. Well, the same thing would be true of Alexander, right? Just the opposite, just a little act of gossip, just a little act of slander, just a little act of malicious intent, just a little act of hatred. And, and, and I guess the choice that we all have is, are we gonna be an Andrew? Or are we going to be an Alexander? Are we going to be an a a Andrew Whitworth or Alexander the metal worker? I know it sounds a little extreme, but I think every day we need to make that choice. Because you know what I can't imagine? I can't imagine getting to the end of my life and looking back and saying, what was my life about? Well, I opposed people. I did people a lot of harm. I tore people down. I don't think that's God's plan for you. I don't think that's God's plan for me. I don't think that's a legacy that any one of us would want to leave. So what I want to do is I want to give you an encouragement. I want to give you a suggestion that you would come to God and just pray. I pray this prayer all the time. God, <clears throat> as you demonstrated so unequivocally to me when you sent your son to die and rise again that you are absolutely completely for me, may I be for others. As you are for me, may I please be for others. So why do people suck? Well, people suck because they might desert you. They might label you, and they might oppose you. But you can't kill them. Why? Well, because you need them. Because life wouldn't be the same without people. Like I think of this letter that Paul wrote. What if he would have let the Alexanders and the Demas of the world convince him, I'm done. I'm done with people. No, no more. Well, then he wouldn't have had anyone to write the letter to. There'd be no Timothy. There'd be no Titus. There'd be no Luke. 
there'd be no really, really cool redemption story about a guy named Mark. See, people suck, but you can't kill them. The truth is, we're better together. Sometimes people will desert you. Sometimes people will label you. Sometimes people will oppose you. In other words, people are risky, but you know what? They're worth the risk. People are risky, but they're worth the risk. Over the last three years, mental illness has risen by 25%. Mental illness has gone up by 25%, and experts will tell you that the, the reason why unequivocally is loneliness. Loneliness and isolation. We all know that loneliness is a threat to our emotional health. That makes sense, right? But do you know that it's also physically damaging? That it's as harmful to be lonely as it is to smoke a pack of cigarettes a day. Physically speaking, I want to make sure you heard that. It is as harmful to be lonely as it is to, to smoke a pack of cigarettes a day. If you are lonely, you're at greater risk for heart disease, for Alzheimer's, for diabetes, and for cancer. Statistics show, by the way, that just about 40% of Canadians, 40% of Canadians are lonely. 60% of young adults and over 50% of young moms would describe themselves as lonely. This is a problem. This is a problem. See, the thing about you and the thing about me is that we are created on purpose in the image of a relational God to be relational people. One of the first things that God said when he placed Adam in the Garden of Eden, he said, you know what? It's not good for people to be alone. It's not. And so while I understand there are harmful people out there, that's why Paul writes the letter Hey, Timothy, I want you to still invest in people like crazy, but hey, you probably want to steer clear of Alexander. Do you get it? People do suck. Because sometimes they will label you. Sometimes they will desert you. Sometimes they will oppose you. They're risky, but they are worth the risk. We need each other. And I got this dream, I got this goal, that this wouldn't just be words today. That honestly, that there would be no one that calls Southside Church home that would be lonely. Statistically speaking, 60% of young adults are lonely. That's a problem. Over 50% of young moms are lonely. That's an issue. 40% of our population. That can't happen. So here's my dream. Here's my goal. That there be no one at Southside Church that would be lonely. And honestly, there's only one way I can think to achieve that. And that's through our small groups. So I want to ask you to do me a favor. You say, Mike, it's, it's May. We're moving in towards the summer season. I don't care. I honestly don't care. If you're not in a Southside small group yet, would you please be incredibly courageous and take that step and just text the keyword group to 604-670-3040. doesn't mean you start next week, but get your name on a list. You know what's so beautiful about Southside small groups? I want you to think about it. Because people are risky, right? Because we said, hey, sometimes people will desert you. It's true. You know why? Because they're looking for validation from all the wrong places. You know what's great about a Southside small group is we've all figured it out. We're not perfect, but we figured out where we do find our validation. Our validation is found by the fact that I'm the one he left the 99 for. Our validation is found in God. And once we realize that, we can actually set out to just love each other well. And you find that in a Southside small group. And the truth is, sometimes people will label you. But in a Southside small group... I mean, I hope and pray that this is true. People aren't going to be judging you according to your failures. 
They're going to be looking at you with faith for what God has in store for your future. It's awesome. And while it's true that sometimes people will oppose you in a Southside small group, you got people on your side. Imperfect people, loved by a perfect God, an extraordinary God, a God that has amazing plans for every one of us. So I'm asking you, would you be willing to step out and be courageous? And, you know, I said earlier it's May and, you know, you might think it's a weird time. But here's the truth. In our church right now, our church is growing and we got lots and lots and lots of people who have been signing up for small groups. And so now we have a need for leaders. We need some small group leaders, you guys. You say, well, I already have enough friends. I know. Would you be willing to be a friend? 40% of the people in this country are lonely. It's a problem, right? 60% of young adults, over 50% of young moms, that's a problem. Would you be willing to be a friend? Would you be willing to be a small group leader? You might say to me, Mike, I'm not a biblical scholar. I get it. I believe you. So if you ask me to boil it down, what is a Southside small group leader? Do I need to be a biblical scholar? You do not. Here's what I think you need. You need to love God and want to know him better. And also, you need to love people and want to really, really bring them hope and help and connection. If you got those two things, we're going to help you. We'll help you be an amazing small group leader. we got sermon studies every week. It's going to be amazing. So if that's you, if you're willing today to take that step, that would be incredible. So please text the keyword LEAD to 604-670-3040. We're going to help you help people. We're going to help you help people. It's going to be amazing. And just one more thing. Two weeks from today, we have a baptism. And baptism is a together thing. Baptism is something that Jesus instituted, and the reason is, is that we could get together and celebrate. So we talked earlier about, before, about how for so many of us, we're looking to find validation in so many different things. When you get baptized, you know what you're doing, right? You're saying, God, I'm giving up on all of that. And so you go down into the water, and you come up, and it's like, I know you're my answer, God. You're my validation. You're my source of worth and value, and I'm going to live from that. And we talked about the fact that for so many of us, we're walking around with labels, which is so interesting, right? Because so many people think you've got to be perfect to get baptized. I would say almost the opposite. Man, if you're somebody here right now and you go, i got a past. i got some failures in my life. Good. Let's get baptized. It's going to be awesome. Baptism is a chance for you to go down into the water and remember that Jesus washes away all those labels. Whatever labels that you're carrying are gone. And you're made brand new. And that's a celebration that we get to do together when you get baptized. And finally, we talked about the fact that Man, it's easy to kind of live a life where we just oppose people. But we need to remember that God is for us. And that's what baptism is. We remember that we were dead in our sins, but now we're made alive. Why? Because God's for me. When you come up out of the water of baptism, you not only celebrate that, but you say, hey, God, would you help me before others too? People suck, but you can't kill them. Because even though people might desert you, they might label you, they might even oppose you, People are risky, but they're worth the risk. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment of reflection as we close. So first of all, I want to ask you, where, where are you at with all of this? I talked earlier about the fact that for so many of us, we spend our whole lives just asking, am I a good kid? Do I measure up? Am I valuable? And I guess what I wanted to come to you with today is good news. Good news of great joy. That you do matter and you are valuable. So much so that 
Jesus is the good shepherd who left the 99 to come after you, that he lived and died and rose again. So whatever that emptiness is inside of you, it can be filled completely and totally. And we talked about the fact today that for so many of us, we're we're carrying around labels from our past. And I bring you good news of great joy. That Jesus came so that you don't have to wear those labels for another single second. They're all gone. You're made brand new through him. And we talked about the fact that for so uh, many people in our world today, it's all about what we're against and who we're against. And I just want to remind you that even in a world that seems very adversarial, I need you to know that God is for you. No matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, God is for you right here and right now. And I want to tell you, your next step today is a really simple one. Jesus already died for you. Jesus already rose again for you. So your next step is really simple. When you come and you say, God, I want you to be my validation. I want you to be my forgiveness and make, give me a fresh start. I want you to, to be my Savior and my Lord because you are so completely for me. Everything that needed to be done for that has already been done All you need to do is accept it. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if that's you today, if you want to accept that free gift that God gave you through Jesus, can you just raise your hand? There's something powerful about the the raising of your hand, that physical expression of that inward commitment. Whether you're online or in person, if that's you today, you can just raise your hand. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. If you just raise your hand, I'm going to pray out loud, and I just invite you to pray silently along with me. So dear God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus. And Jesus, today, I pray that you would be my validation. That that little kid inside of me that's just looking to know if I'm good enough, that you would speak to me on every level and let me know that I am because of you. that instead of living my life for validation of others, that I will live the rest of my life from your validation. And Jesus, I'm so thankful that when you died, it meant that I don't have to wear these labels around anymore, that instead of judging myself by my failure, I'm looking at faith towards my future. Thank you. And Jesus, I thank you that you rose again. And just as you are for me, I'm so thankful for that. Might I be a person who builds Might I be a person who encourages? Might I be a person that makes a difference in this world in the best possible sense? And God, for all of us, whether we be going to church or whether we've been a follower of Jesus for four days or for 40 years, God, I want to pray that we would all, all right now, be convicted. If there's places that we're looking for validation, I want to ask you to give us the ability as we turn our eyes towards you, as we turn our eyes back towards you, as we turn our eyes back towards you, Jesus, you're it. You're enough. Thank you. And for all of us who have been following you for a long time or a short time, that have sold ourselves short, forgetting that, you are, that we are plan A to make a difference in this world, to bring your hope and your help and your connection to the world. God, would you free us from those labels and understand that those people that try to judge us by the failure of our past or that voice, that's not your voice, that's the voice of the enemy. May we shed it and move forward with confidence in who you've called us to be. People who build, people who encourage, people who love. We thank you, God. We thank you that you are for us so that we can be for this world and for each other. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate, church. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time today, that's amazing. 
That's amazing. Please text the keyword life, L-I-F-E, to 604-670-3040. Because guess what? We need each other. We need each other. And we want to help you as you journey through this life following Jesus. Finding your validation and your newness and your freedom in him. It's going to be amazing. And before I go today, I just want to say I can't wait to be back with you live next week as we finish off this amazing study on a book called 2 Timothy, the last letter ever written by the Apostle Paul. I love you guys and we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.